Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. I'm Josh Horowitz, and today on Happy, Sad, Confused, we're diving into the fall film festival season, in particular, the Telluride Film Festival with award season expert Matt Neglia, film starring Austin Butler and Adam Driver and Emma Stone. We're getting into all of it with a preview of this great season in film. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz, and thanks as always for tuning in to Happy, Sad, Confused. This is getting into my favorite time of year for movies. With a lot of big festivals coming up, I thought it was a good time to kind of catch up and take a look ahead at all the big movies that you guys are going to be hearing about in the next few months. I'm lucky enough to go to a lot of the fall festivals in particular. Right now, by the time you're watching and listening to this, I'm at the Telluride Film Festival, maybe my favorite film festival of all. It's a very unique experience. I wanted to give you guys kind of a sense of what it's like to be on the ground experiencing the Telluride Film Festival. And that's why Matt is going to be joining me in just a moment. He's a veteran of all the festivals and knows Telluride backwards and forwards. Uh, before we get to all of that, I want to mention that we have a, a live event coming up. I know we've had a little bit of a dry spell with the SAG and writer strike, but the good news is, you know who can talk? Is actors talking about theater. And we've got a great new a duo that is coming to Happy Sag Confused October 9th in New York City. Gutenberg, the music, musical stars Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells are joining me at 92Y. I want you guys to get, get in on it right now. Get your tickets. New York City, come on out. October 9th, we're talking to two very funny, very talented actors about their new musical. They, of course, were in the Book of Mormon years ago, and that, that show got all the attention, all the awards. So they're um, reuniting for this uh, funny new musical. is very exciting. I hope to see you guys there. But as I said, right now, we're going to focus on movies and movie festivals. Um, this is going to be a packed award season, you know, from Yorgos Lanthimos to David Fincher, Pris Priscilla from Sofia Coppola. There, there's there's a, an embarrassment of riches coming up, and I want to kind of give you guys a lay of the land. This is Consider this your cheat sheet for the coming movie season. Uh, please enjoy this conversation with Matt Neglia and take some notes because these are the movies you're going to be talking about for the next six months. Enjoy. I'm now joined by the editor-in-chief of nextbestpicture.com. It's Matt Neglia. Matt lives and breathes the award season and fall film festivals like no one else I know. It's an exciting time for Matt and me, but it's also an exciting time for movie lovers in general because the good news is, guys, we're about to be bombarded by dozens of actual great movies. <laughs> and it's all kicking off right now as we speak with Venice and Telluride. Matt, by the time I see you, uh, by the time this is out, rather, I'm going to see you hopefully in person yep. in Telluride, it, given, you know, travel, the travel nightmare that is to get to Telluride. Oh, yeah. How, well, first, welcome to the show. So great to have you. Thank you. I've loved this show for a long time, as I've told you in person uh, a, a few times. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to be here. And I'm honored that you asked me to also be a part of this conversation, which, yes, it's my favorite time of the year. And for any movie lover out there, I think they should all be equally as excited because this is the time of year where we get an onslaught of all of these amazing films from really terrific uh, filmmakers. So, so Matt and I uh, have known each other a couple of years and I've kind of interacted with him on the kind of award circuit. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm jealous of Matt because he really like at the film festivals, he makes me feel like a poser. Um, like I see like, you know, 10 or 15 movies and I'm like, I'm doing it right. Um, for reference, Matt, when I, I spoke to you after Cannes, 
this was your first can. I didn't go yeah. this year. How many films did you see at the Cannes Film Festival this year? You know, I, I actually don't remember off the top of my head the exact number right now, but if I had to ballpark range it, I would say it was something about like 38 maybe films or so, somewhere <laughs> around that range. Um, so so like I said, Matt is the real deal. Um, talk to me first, because like a lot of people that that watch and listen to this podcast, they're obviously not necessarily journalists or in the industry, but just love movies. And it might sometimes feel like a little bit rarefied air to talk about the kind of the inside baseball of fall film festivals. Why do you think like, you know, the general movie fans should give a crap about what we're talking about, the Venice and Telluride and your film festival, et cetera. Well, like I was saying before, it's the time of year where you get a lot of films that are definitely flying under the radar for most movie fans out there. They don't have the huge marketing push that the same that some of the big studio titles have. Um, they're not part of these ever long franchises. They're typically one off films made by filmmakers who sometimes are tour driven other times. Uh, it might be something they're contractually obligated to do for a studio. But in any event, though, there's always going to be some sort of artistic vision behind the project and so as a result of that um in this day and age especially where you know indie art house cinemas are slowly dying of a, a painful death it seems like and also to the uh gap between an independent film and a large studio uh temple film is ever growing wider and wider and the mid-budget film is the one that's actually starting to shrink these festivals allow for independent films and mid-budget uh films sometimes from major studios other times from the secondary studios uh something along the lines of like say an a24 searchlight right. pictures or neon this is their time to shine. This is their time to generate buzz. And typically when it comes to award season, especially when we're honoring the best films of the year, this is where those films will show up for the first time. So if you want to catch that wave of, of excitement, uh, there's no better place to be than to be there on the ground at one of these festivals, whether it's Venice, Telluride, TIFF, or New York uh, Film Fest. And there are others, of course, that happen afterwards, sure. regional fests, and it kind of just goes on throughout the entire end of the year. But those first four are definitely the ones where you'll catch that level of excitement and be there you could say oh i was there when uh so and so had its world premiere and we got to lay eyes on this for the first time it's a really unique and memorable experience yeah and i'm sure you like me have a, a lot of experiences like that of like oh my god i was in the room when like nobody knew what they had and then there's that buzz in the audience and and for any like movie fan out there and i know it's difficult and believe me matt and i have talked about like oh my god this is like killing my pocketbook but you got to be there but it's 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 uh if you can manage to be at any of these kind of festival experiences there's nothing like it and not to mention like a lot of these movies won't get big theatricals unfortunately so to see it on the big screen with an right. audience of, of movie lovers it's it's priceless um so okay so you mentioned like i guess probably the big four of this season and there are others there's afi and the regionals and uh, mm -hmm. etc um but yes new york film festival Festival, Toronto International Film Festival, we call it TIFF, uh, Venice, and Telluride. Can you run through just like quickly, do each of these do kind of have a bit of an identity, don't they? Yes. They kind of have like, what 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 do they bring to the table? Like, let's start like, I don't know, New York Film Festival. What's the identity of New York Film Festival? Definitely more art house driven for sure. Although in recent years, they've uh, programmed quite a few films, usually like one, maybe two a year that is a bigger um, visual effects driven studio film. I'm thinking, of course, when something like Robert Zemeckis's The Walk was in one of the right. premiere slots or even uh, two years ago with Dune screening at New York Film Fest. Like these are kind of uncharacteristic programming choices. What you get more so is you get definitely a lot of films that come over from the Cannes Film Festival. So 
So if you're not going to go old away to the south of France in May, you can at least wait for those films or at least a huge chunk of them to come over to New York. That coupled along with other programming titles from Berlin, they usually take some stuff from Venice, also maybe even from TIFF. New York, considering that it's the fourth one, uh, that's the one that actually kind of feels almost like a best of fest where it's a little right. bit of everything with one or two splashy world premieres of their own to kind of spice it up a little bit. And that's what makes New York really interesting to me. And like I was saying before, definitely more art housey. Uh, you definitely get a lot of films that have very distinct visions and so it, it may not always be everybody's cup of tea especially maybe more mainstream audiences but in terms of just opening up your eyes to seeing what good cinema can uh achieve and also just broaden your horizons a little bit uh, as to what's out there I, I think new york is pretty incredible for that reason alone I would also say, so then like segueing into Toronto, which mm. um, I've done a, a, like probably the last 15, 16 years outside of the COVID year or two, um, that's kind of like an audience festival. That's yes. like the city just comes out. And again, like if that's one that that really feels like if you can make it to Toronto, that's like one worth doing because it is a giant festival, mm -hmm. hundreds of movies. Um generally, I mean, look, we're in a weird sag and, and writer's strike year, so the star power will be diminished, but there's still, still going to be star power out there. Um, big red carpets, big events, premieres, but it's also a bit of a crapshoot. What, what is mm -hmm. Toronto to you? Definitely more mainstream, uh, that's yep. for sure. A lot of world premieres, the biggest uh, programming lineup of the four that we just mentioned between Venice, Telluride, New York, and now with TIFF. TIFF will have the most films. Absolutely. And so... Yep. It definitely makes it harder to uh, schedule. You know, a lot yeah, of times you can't see it all. It's insane. No. Yeah, yeah. You have to know that heading <laughs> in that there's no way you'll be able to see everything. Now, what's really interesting about TIP is that because there's such a wide selection from art house to mainstream to films that are going to come out at the end of the year, films that might come out the following year, films that have distribution that don't have distribution, you can kind of throw your schedule into some sort of a randomizer and just go from there. And I can almost guarantee you that you will not be disappointed just because there's such a range. So if you appreciate cinema in all of its forms, then I think that there's a lot to uh, appreciate about this fest. But if you want to curate it towards a specific taste, they got the Midnight Madness uh, programming. Maybe right. that's more your speed. Maybe documentaries are more your speed. They have a whole section just dedicated to docs. And then there's the uh, centerpiece section, which previously was their uh, world contemporary cinema section that now they're highlighting as, no, 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 this is actually like our real centerpiece is highlighting films from overseas, uh, from filmmakers that have um, distinct visions for what they want to uh, achieve. And so I, I think that's really exciting that they're highlighting international cinema, especially over the last couple of years where we've seen here in the U.S. international cinema get embraced more and more by, yep. by audiences. Um, it's a slow uh, gradual increase, but I definitely can see it happening, whether it's on film or in television. So TIFF definitely, uh, like you said, the town gets fully involved. Everybody that lives within the area pretty much attends this festival. And then you get people from the East Coast uh, coming from all over. Uh, it, it's a festival that definitely has that sense of if you are there and you're not part of the film festival you almost wonder what is that person actually doing right 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 whereas like new york like you know the film festival goes by tribeca goes by and you're like did it even yeah. happen unless you're involved in it you'll be like online waiting for something in new york and people are just walking by like what is this you know yeah. and so yeah. yeah so one festival i've never done because 
well, a, again, it's it's difficult to do them all for price and other reasons, but it also conflicts with Telluride, uh, is Venice. Venice mm-hmm. Film Festival, by the time you guys are watching and listening to this, is underway. And maybe now we can also start to talk about sort of the movies this year, because yeah. I am just in awe of the Venice lineup. I'll be I'll be honest. Like the the filmmakers, let's just run through really quickly. Wait, I have some of the filmmakers that are at Venice this year. We've got Pablo Lorraine, Luke Besson, Michael Mann, Maestro from Bradley Cooper, Yoros Lanthimos. And then out of competition, even you've got Linklater, William Friedkin's last movie, Woody Allen, if he's still your taste, Wes Anderson, J.A. Bayona, Roman Polanski, if that's still cool with you. Like it's it's a stacked auteur-driven lineup. Is that always mm. the case for Venice? Yeah, I would say Venice definitely gets usually the flashiest world premieres, and at least in terms of what those in the award season world are mostly looking forward to throughout the rest of the year. Um, they also will get a couple of exclusive films that will play at Venice and only Venice. So even if you are like me going to the other three, but you're not going to Venice mostly because like you said, it conflicts with Telluride, which I love. Yeah. Um, you know, you do miss out on a thing or two here or there. Uh, the so, killer, the yeah, killer Matt. Yep, We're both dying. I know this is it. David Fincher. This is my top movie of the fall season. I'm a Fincher obsessive. Why is are they only doing Venice? What's the strategy? Well, it's a killer that we won't be able to see the killer. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think if I had to take a guess, I think it's because they are unsure about how it's actually going to be received. Right. My gut instinct tells me, because I almost think David Fincher is critic proof. I think critics are going to love it. I don't know how general audiences and more mainstream audiences will necessarily take to it, but I think they're kind of just trying to feel out the waters before they decide what to do with it next. Not at a film festival, but just in terms of campaign, general rollout, because Fincher's uh, films, especially when he's dealing with like serial killers and other dark subject material, there's a certain way that you have to market those films and campaign those films, especially if you want to give Fincher his flowers and his due, because quite frankly if you look at his filmography his serial killer movies or his thrillers never get any awards attention or they get some but they don't get him like in the best picture conversation it's always his non-thriller serial killer movies that the academy typically tends to embrace and i think netflix wants to buck that trend this year yeah it does feel like and this for those that don't know this is michael fassbender uh yeah this is this is fincher in his element i'll take a fincher the killer over with all due respect mank or um yeah, a Benjamin Button any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, what I really wanted you on uh, to talk about is, like I said, we are hopefully, knock on wood, we're both in Telluride by now. And I, I, uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'd heard about Telluride for years. I finally did it last year. And yep. it is a it's a glorious experience. I know you agree with me. Um, it's not for everybody, it's tough to manage, but Telluride, Colorado, this idyllic place celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. It's one day longer than the typical Telluride uh film festival. Um, it's a very unique festival for many reasons. Mm-hmm. No red carpets, no camera crews. Um yeah, I mean, how many how many Tellurides is this for you? And does it really stand apart from the pack for you? Uh, this will be my, oh my God, uh, fourth. I went for the first time in 2019. Uh, 2020, there wasn't a Telluride Film Festival, so I don't uh, count that one. But I will say, though, that 
back in 2021 when we were sort of quasi coming out of the pandemic a little bit. They did add the extra day that year to allow for more screenings, mostly because they were saying that they were limiting how many people they were letting into screenings. So they were trying to spread things out more. I can tell you honestly that that extra day makes a huge difference. And I begged them to make that a permanent decision moving forward. Um, they told me that they don't have the capacity to do that, mostly because they really are a small film festival. When you really break it down, it's just a very small film festival that has over the years grown in its um, reputation and has become this very large Oscar launching pad in a way that I think a lot of people just never fully expected. It didn't used to be like this until usually around like say uh, the early 2010s. And now that's kind of become its expectation is that you're going to see anywhere between two to four best picture nominees go through Telluride each year, um, anywhere within that range. Now, the quality of the programming itself, I think personally, is the most consistent out of all of the film festivals, even if it's not necessarily your cup of tea. I remember last year, for example, there were some films that <laughs> yeah, played there that didn't get the best reception. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But you can at least see the vision for sure. why it was programmed. And it doesn't scream to me the same um, level of biasness that I get from, say, Cannes or Venice, where it's more filmmaker relationship driven. This one instead feels, I mean, there's an element of that, don't get me wrong, but this one definitely, I think, boils down to a lot of times, is the film actually good? And obviously that's subjective, so it ranges from person to person, but I can always see the the intent behind why something was programmed at Telluride. So last year was my first one, and yeah, just a few of them that, that premiered last year, uh, Tar was there, Women Talking, um, Senior, the doc that I don't know how didn't make the short list of yeah. our Dunning Senior doc, Bardo, which was divisive. And by the way, we saw a longer cut, as I recall, of Bardo. We they, they, went, they went back to the edit room after that. Um, Armageddon Time, which I loved and wish mm -hmm. had gotten a little more attention. Bones and All, which was not everyone's cup of tea, but I love right. from Luca Guadagnino. Empire of Light, which was a bit divisive, but you're, but you're right. I mean, Julie Hunsinger, who I believe is the programmer there, clearly amazing taste. And and there's some um, things that she avoids too. Like, you know, you'll never see like a big budgeted film that's like over a hundred million dollars at Telluride. You don't typically see violent films programmed at Telluride that much. Um, so you know, there there is a pattern here. And that's why every year when we don't know what the lineup is, you can sometimes infer uh what the oh, well, this is the thing we haven't there. mentioned yet. So okay, yeah. so so they don't announce the lineup until the day before. Yep. So as we tape this, we can't say with 100% certainty what the lineup is. Matt and I know people and heard things and we, we have some pretty pretty good idea of what's going to be there, but they're probably going to be, there definitely will be a couple surprises for both of us. Um, and that I'm sure drives you insane, drives me a little mad, but also is kind of exciting and awesome. And again, it's something that separates it from the other festivals. Um, before we dive into the, the films this year, again, like, I mean, you know, hopefully this comes across as like living a little bit vicariously through us. And if you can't be to tell you, I just kind of know how special it is. But um, just to give a sense of like what it's like to be there, like, again, I, I don't think I can convey having done so many festivals, having done Sundance and Cannes and Toronto, um, the familial, casual quality of yeah. Telluride, which um, 
you know, if you can make it is amazing because it is tiny. It is there, you know, I can't say last year I kept tweeting. I'm like, ran into Claire Foy again. Like, I mean, I, like I saw Claire Foy like six times, like just at the coffee shop every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Hathaway just walking the streets, uh, Werner Herzog, like on the path with you. I mean, it, it, it really feels like everybody is there for the right reasons. They're not there um you know it, it feels like if you've made it there you have this abiding insane love of movies and it is yeah. kind of a, a church of filmmaking for those four or five days um I do you have like a fa- do you have a favorite like tell your ride memory or whether it's seeing a film or seeing an actor or filmmaker you admire wow uh okay yeah uh that's whew. i have a couple actually okay go for uh, it yep. because well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name a couple, but I I'll say my first year I was there, my first experience of oh wow, this is what it's like going to tell you ride was I was in line waiting to see uh the world premiere of the two popes. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm waiting in line, and next thing you know, I hear a voice behind me in line, and I turn around and it's Eddie Redmayne. And I'm looking and I'm saying to myself, What is Eddie Redmayne doing in the this line? And that's when I kind of put two and two together that no matter who you are, we all pay uh, for the most part. Some people pay a, a very high price tag to get a, a, a cut the line pass, if you will. Right. But most people pay the same price for the same pass and they all have to get in the same line. So yes, you can find yourself in situations where you are in line with a filmmaker you admire and respect or an actor or whatever it is. Now I know this year because of the strikes, uh, we're not going to get so much of that this year, but um, I had an opportunity to, yes, talk with Eddie Redmayne. He was there to support Anthony McCartan, who wrote the screenplay for that film. He obviously wrote The Fury of Everything. So, you know, the, the, he wanted to be there to show uh, support for him. And it was just a really, really great interaction uh, that has carried over to this day. Uh, every time I see Eddie now, he remembers that and uh, he yeah. knows me. And I, I just, you know, like here's something I want to reiterate. Um, star interaction is nice, especially if you're a fan of this industry and you admire what these people put into uh, to give us these movies. So uh, for me, it's like you only live once. You only get this opportunity to, you know, meet these people maybe one time. And as a fan, uh, it's a really, really enriching experience. That's not why I go. That's why I'm going this year, despite the strikes. People have asked me, why are you still going if the stars aren't going to be there? Because it's not about meeting the stars. It's a unique quality, like you pointed out before, but it's about the movies themselves. That's the thing that matters at the end of the day. So, yes, meeting stars, always nice. Like you said, like if you're a fan and you only live once, which we all do, uh, it, it's a nice it's a nice moment, right? But beyond that, we're there to celebrate the films. And to your point, what you just said, I, I, this resonates with me so strongly. You're in line with other people who love movies as much as you do. Yeah. And that communal feeling, that communal aspect of just knowing that you could just meet random strangers, whether they're there on uh, a vacation trip or this is just an annual uh, um, an annual trip that they take every year to go to this festival to uh, get this experience, or they're another critic like yourself, whatever the case might be, you have that shared bond. And it doesn't, no, nothing else matters at that point. You uh, all share that. And that allows for great discussion and you can always ask people what have you seen that you liked already is there anything that you didn't like and it's just a great jumping off pad for meeting new people and having that wonderful experience of 
kind of like what you said, go in the church. Yeah, <laughs> it does our feel church. It does feel like they've been able to preserve for now. And I hope Julie and the whole staff there. I mean, I know they hold it sacred to keep it that way because it reminds me I've been going to Sundance forever. And, you know, Sundance isn't what it used to be, with all due respect. And Sundance is kind of like it has that element, but it has like the influencers and the brands and all of that that have kind of infiltrated it. And it's kind of yeah. like, oh, if I could just cut out that crap and get back to the basics, that's kind of what what Telluride remains. I mean, yeah, and, and like you said, yeah, I mean, look, I'm a sucker. Look, I, my job is to talk to celebrities or whatever, but to, to interact with them on that personal level, like last year, like you know, talking to Kate Blanchett about Bardo, like she, mm. she's just like, and I remember just like this awkward exchange where she came up to me and she was like, have you seen Bardo and me not liking Bardo and being like, yeah, like trying to read, like, did she like it? <laughs> am I, am I agreeing with you? Or am I disagreeing with you? She was, by the way, no surprise as a Quirone, um, uh, you know, Ritchie rather, uh, um, disciple or, 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 or collaborator was a big fan. Yeah. Um, I imagine. All right, so let's talk. Let's talk this year. Okay, so by the time again you're listening to this, watching this, the uh, lineup is out. Let's see, hopefully, how smart we are. But we we know some things very confidently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, in no particular order. What 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 are the, what are the what are the big uh, Telluride titles that you're very certain will be there that we'll be talking about? Number one, with a bullet, cut my throat, put me on display. Uh, I because I have a feeling this movie is going to be shocking, violent. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what to expect from her. Emerald Fennell's follow-up to Promise Young Woman, Saltburn. Uh yep. just with that title alone, I'm expecting something that's going to sting and going to make us uncomfortable. And if it's anything as nearly as daring as uh Promise Young Woman was with its like third act, which I know was controversial for some people, but that's the kind of storytelling that I tend to gravitate towards. Is I love uh, filmmakers who push me out of my comfort zone and take hard left turns uh and it, it's a risk right it doesn't always work for everybody but man that first that first film really made me a disciple oh, yeah. and I'll, i will follow her to the ends of the earth now to see what she delivers next with this and this is i guess i, I don't know the entire cast but i remember barry keoghan's and this is the first time we've gonna how we'll have seen him since banshees so yep. exciting Jacob lordy uh oh. rosman pike uh carrie mulligan said to have a small role in it as well nice. so yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, very excited for that one. Um, we're gonna see the holdovers. Yes, Alexander Payne's yes. uh, latest film. Big Alexander Payne fan. Is this his first film since Downsizing? It's been, you know, his first kind of real hiccup in the career. So hopefully he's back with Paul Giamatti, his yeah. sideways collaborator. So I'm excited for that. For you, I love Paul Giamatti. I uh, <laughs> I've often been told that if any celebrity was ever gonna play me in a biopic of my life, it would have to be Paul Giamatti. <laughs> I take um, that, yeah. And then also too, yeah, Sideways, one of my favorite films of all time. So just to see these two reunite here. Um, the trailer was something that uh, really took me uh, by surprise. And I, you know, it, it definitely looks more scaled down compared to uh, Downsizing, which I do feel was Alexander Payne playing a little out of his wheelhouse. So this seems yep. like a return in the form in many ways. And so as a result of that, I mean, if you loved, um, you know, Sideways, uh, the Descendants or Election, whatever the case might be, Nebraska, uh, this seems to be uh, right in that same realm for him. So yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't say like, excited excited just because you know we don't know if the downsizing slump is going to necessarily continue but definitely excited to see uh paul giamatti in a showcase role because he hasn't had that in quite it's been on tv for a while yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. i'm one i'm very excited for this is like my like all-star lineup of like happy second fuse guests is the bike riders uh from director writer director jeff nichols um this cast is freaking stacked this is austin butler jody 
Comer, Tom Hardy, Michael Shannon. I think I'm missing three or four other amazing actors. Um, and Nichols, it's again, it's been a minute and he has such, um, I mean, when he hits, he hits so well. So, and this sounds like a little bit of a, a change of pace for him. It's a period film. Um, and this will be the debut, presumably for the bike riders. Yes. Uh, this is also the first time that he's working with a major studio uh, also right. to release two of 20th Century Studios involved. Um, it was funny because when I read the plot stops for this, I immediately just thought to myself, Sons of Anarchy? Like, what, what right. is this necessarily, right? And I figure knowing Jeff Nichols, I, I imagine it's going to have uh, some commercial appeal, but it's going to very much still retain his uh, unique voice that he's established through films such as Loving, Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter. I mean, this is a guy who really di dives deep into his characters and usually gets great performances out of his actors. I'm expecting nothing less here. And um, I'm just also excited, too, to see more from Austin Butler after Elvis last year, too, just to see the level of range that he uh, is able to provide. Um, as always, Netflix has a stacked lineup this fall. We talked about uh, the killer, but um, they're going to be represented. We know, I, I think we know that Nyad will be there. Mm -hmm. Rustin will be yeah. there. I'm probably missing a couple, but um, two kind of biopic films there. Net Benning still chasing that Oscar love. Nyad could be it, presumably. This will be the debut of that film, I believe. I mean, I heard that prior to the strikes, she was meant to be one of the tributes at the Telluride Film Festival. So they were definitely trying to go all out to say, yes, she is one of your best actress contenders this year. This is a great showcase role for her. It definitely sounds extremely physical uh, and something that I believe, you know, when you have the filmmaking duo of Elizabeth and Jimmy, uh, who previously did Rescue and Free Solo doing yeah. their first narrative feature film, I'm expecting something that's going to be exciting, thrilling, uh, a crowd-pleasing uh, film. This is something that has potential to be a huge breakout uh, hit. And also, too, you have Jodie Foster in a supporting role. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I'm really I'm this is one that I think uh, is going to land really well. It's also playing a tip as well. So uh, who knows that uh, wave could continue. And if I'm wrong, uh, definitely feel free to go back and laugh at me for stating this. But um, it has where all else the ingredients. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, and, 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 and Rustin is a showcase for Coleman Domingo, who's yeah. so beloved as an actor. So it would be great to see him get, get some love from from the awards uh, institution. He's never really had a significant role of this size in a film yet. So those right. of us that have been fans of his supporting work, whether it's in film or in television, uh, this is an exciting moment for Coleman Domingo fans. And they just released a trailer uh, just a few days ago for it, giving us a great look into the fact that this is a untold story about a, a, a civil rights activist who uh, for years people have been saying, why have they not made a movie about this guy? Well, finally, we're getting it. And yep. George C. Wolfe is definitely coming off of uh, a nice success with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So th th once again, the ingredients are all there. It's just a question now of how well does it land? Is it just a Coleman Domingo play? Is there more right. to it than just his performance? And I, I'm expecting nothing short of great things for him, especially. I think one that that could surprise some folks um, that maybe is not on the radar yet, that has maybe one of the hottest new actors outside of Austin Butler, Paul Mezcal. 
uh, is All the Strangers, yeah. right? Which mm-hmm. was, I think believe was Strangers. Now it's All the Strangers. Also, Andrew Scott, one of these guys that I feel like is just waiting for that moment to kind of cross over yeah. into the mainstream. I think Claire Foy actually has a supporting role in this one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew High or Hay, who has done some great work. Um, yeah, that, is that high on your list? It's high on mine. Very high. I yeah. think that his work is very consistently good to great. I think this is going to be a great one. I have a huge feeling this is something that a lot of people are underestimating. And I, I you know, once I saw that it was also playing in New York, along with Telluride. The nice one-two punch that shows good taste from both of them. Both festivals have the the good taste. So if they're both mm-hmm. gravitating, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing I, I, I've been saying for the last couple of days now, ever since I started like diving deeper into this project is I'm wondering if it could be for the second half of the year, what past lives was for the first half of the year. And that's the kind of emotional resonant experience. I think that this film is going to be able to provide for people. So, okay, so two other categories of films I want to talk about, um, acquisition titles, that some of which will be there, and then some of the uh, the stuff you've already seen from Cannes that we know mm-hmm. is going to show up there. But for, first, like in the, in the titles that we haven't seen yet, um, let's see, um, I'm hearing, what am I hearing? Daddy-O. Yep. Daddy-O, which is an interesting one. Um, that's like a contained story mm-hmm. with Sean Penn, Dakota Johnson. Lock part two in a car, you know, it's like... <laughs> Uh, Dakota Johnson hops into a cab, strikes a conversation up with Sean Penn, and who knows where we're going from there. I listen; they're both really good actors. Uh, you know, Sean Penn, I know, has been uh, not everyone hasn't had the greatest person. last five years, but I mean, right. he's do he's a great actor. I mean, come on, he's a great actor. You can't take that away from him. And so, yeah. depending on the screenplay, the direction of the film, you can get a great performance out of him. And Dakota Johnson, I think, has uh taken every naysayer or doubter out there who said that she was a terrible actress back in the days of 50 shades and has said absolutely not i'm here to stay yeah so yeah i'm expecting yeah i'm expecting like just to be a a a modest success but you know we'll we'll see how it goes another one that i'm hearing i think it's also a tiff is wildcat which is Mm -hmm. directed by ethan hawk and stars maya hawk yes Definitely not going to avoid the nepotism talks with this one. Um, <laughs> but but listen, Maya Hawk, talented young actress. Uh, she's definitely, I think, gained a type of following that will see her literally in anything she does. And Ethan Hawk as a director, while not necessarily the most uh consistent, you know, he I think has had a couple of very, very good films that he has directed under his belt before. So him working with his daughter on this project. You know, I, like it's one of those things where it's like, like on paper, I could see it going either way. Right, but right. yeah, you know, I'm excited uh, for both of them to have this shared familial experience. Um, okay. So as I said, you saw a ton of great stuff at Cannes. And I yeah. believe some of this is going to trickle down to these film festivals, including Telluride. Uh, did you see Anatomy of a Fall? Loved it. I can't wait. Okay. Yeah. So Anatomy Loved of a Fall played a huge at Cannes. Safe to say this is going to linger through the award season. What can we expect out of this film? So imagine a crime documentary series or mini series on HBO or a true crime podcast that you've listened to, whatever the case might be. Now just 
condensed that to two and a half hours. And that's what you're getting out of this. It is the crime, the fallout, the courtroom drama, the behind the scenes, familial drama. It's got like literally everything you could possibly want in a uh, dramatic thriller of this kind. And Sandra Huller's performance in this is nothing short of extraordinary. She is so damn good in this film. I, I think that this is going to play extremely well at literally every festival that it hits along the circuit. What else from Cannes is, you think is going to show up at Telluride? What are you excited about? Uh, Perfect Days, the new film from uh, Wim Wenders. Uh, oh, which sure. Won the Best Actor Prize at uh, Cannes. Uh, that was one that I thought was really well done. Um, the Kawasaki, uh film uh, Fallen Leaves is another one that I expect to also show up. And uh, why am I drawing a bit of a blank right now? I should not be. Um, <laughs> it's a lot floating in your head. I, I Don't worry. I'll mention yeah. what you can think about it while I mention another film we haven't mentioned, mm -hmm. um, at least with respect to Telluride, that I think is high on many people's lists is um, Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things, uh, which I believe is also at Venice. Um, and this looks like another big wild swing from the director of The Lobster and The Favorite. Looks almost like his Frankenstein take, collaborating again with Emma Stone. This one, I'm sure like all of his films will probably be divisive, but I'm in. Uh, you're going to take me with you. I love Lanfamos. I love his uh, brand of weirdness. I think that he has a certain cadence that he's able to get out of his actors with their line delivery and how he's just able to pace his films out in a way that just is so off kilter it appeals to me but yeah like everything from a craft level with this from production design to this costume cinematography just looks absolutely amazing so that that is one that might be quite frankly honestly like near uh, not number one but Top two, three for me, most anticipated of the Telluride Film Festival. And for the record, uh, the Ever Can title, yes. I remembered it. The reason why I couldn't remember it was because it had a name change. Oh, I know it. The Pata Fu. Now <laughs> called The Taste of Things. Yeah, with uh, Julia Benos and uh, Benoit uh, Magamal. This movie is, if there was ever a definition of a comfort food movie, this is, well, I know there's a lot of films that fit that definition, but this is now another one to go okay. alongside them. I think that this is going to warm uh, audiences' hearts and they're going to absolutely fall in love with this movie. So uh, barring some miracle, I'm not going to see Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon uh, at Telluride. I want to be wrong. I hope you, you're watching, listening to this, being like, Josh, you're you're wrong. Marty's there. But you, I believe you saw that at Cannes. I did. And, and right now, does it have, no, they haven't announced it for your film festival. This is like kind of a strange, surprising strategy. You think it could still pop up at, if not Telluride, as a surprise addition to New York Film Fest? So my gut instinct uh, tells me, well, I mean, we, we only have two possibilities at this point, right? Because it hasn't been officially announced for any lineup. I do not think it's going to be a Telluride. I think it's a very tough film to schedule for Telluride, given the length of the movie and how many times right. it would have to screen, even with the extra day. And based on what we already know is going, I could just see it being a challenge for them. Uh, with that said... I'm not ruling it out completely. I would say that there's a 5% chance maybe I'll that take it still it. shows up. <laughs> uh, what's more likely though, what is more likely is it is announced as a one-time, one-night surprise screening at New York right before its limited theatrical release just to get the buzz rolling back up again. Yeah. Because I agree with you. 
if the strategy is to just hold off on the fall film festivals completely, just ride the can wave of buzz all the way to its uh, limited theatrical, you know, maybe that could work because you just have people so excited and maybe you're trying to drive that box office and that influx of people who will go seek it out in the theater because it's been withheld everywhere else. Maybe that is the strategy. I, I kind of feel that at this point, uh, considering we've already gotten two trailers for it, I, I do think that they need just, like I said, one screening somewhere. Yeah. And New York makes a lot of sense given De Niro and Scorsese are right there. Um, I, I, I think it could very easily happen, but I, I don't think it's happening at Telluride. I'll, I'll wait. There's it would eat up a lot of time in the schedule. That's how I'm justifying it to myself. Right. Like more time to see other movies. Not um, to mention too, it's like weird, right? Because you would think 50th anniversary, Scorsese, 80 years old. This is the time because he can attend as a director who's not on strike to give him a tribute award. Like it all kind of made sense on paper, but I don't know. I know. I, I, I'm still. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm still. Yeah, I, I feel like I wanted like a, a Francis Ford Coppola out of the woodwork with Megalopolis or Marty, like just something yeah. to honor the 50th. But but I'll take that amazing lineup we've already spoken about. It's going to be a, a great festival. And for you guys, um, you know, I would encourage you guys to keep following me on social media. Matt, what's your what's your social handles? Just so people uh, know. You can find me anywhere on social media. Next best picture. Great. So follow Matt because Matt's going to be on top of everything um, and they're going to be writing up a storm on all the film festivals and Matt in particular in Telluride and, uh, you know, hopefully keeping you guys up to date on what's happening. Um, briefly, just looking past Telluride and just generally in the awards season, the, the film festival season, look, obviously the strikes are impacting things. I know we're both crushed that Dune. We're going to have to wait till next spring now. Um, and maybe other things could still move. Who I know. I know, Matt. I feel you. <laughs> we have Wonka at least. <laughs> um hey it could be fun it's paddington director it'll be fine anyway um sure. generally this award this fall uh season does it feel like it stacks up do you feel like it's a strong a strong lineup you can be honest I, if it feels a little lacking uh, you know i think it's lacking right now yeah i think once we get word on some of these films from venice tell you ride i think then it's going to feel stacked because then that's when a lot of these movies that are question marks at the moment will have that established buzz and we'll know what to look forward to uh definitively but yeah considering that it's not just dune but a lot of things ended up moving uh to 2024 uh, for the calendar year this year um maybe those were films that people weren't necessarily looking forward to maybe they were who knows but at the end of the day i am just grateful that um there are still films in general still coming out uh studios are still pushing ahead with releasing some of these uh and you know we don't have uh as bad of a situation as we had during the pandemic where it seemed like there were weeks on end where there wasn't yeah. necessarily anything new. So grateful for that. Grateful that the festivals are still pushing forward, still happening uh, regardless of the situation that we're in now. But let's remember that this whole situation can all be ended at any moment's notice. Should they just agree to WGA and SAG-AFTRA's uh, demands. And quite frankly, based on the outlines of what I've seen, they ain't asking for that much. It's killing all of us. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully this is not going to drag on much longer. I am, again, in the next couple of days, you guys are going to be deluged by all the buzz coming out of Venice and Telluride. I'm going to be very excited to hear about the response to Michael Mann's Ferrari, yeah. which is debuting uh, at Venice. And obviously Black Hat was kind of like a step back for man, but hopefully he's got one or two 
great movies left in him. This is with Adam Driver. I can't wait. And we haven't even mentioned Maestro, which uh, which could be huge. This is obviously Bradley Cooper's follow-up to A Star is Born. Um, and that debuts at Venice, and I believe will be at New York Film Festival as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, one that feels ripe for award season, barring some catastrophe. And I, I don't see that happening. Well, you know um, what? I mean, yeah. last year of Venice, uh, there were a lot of films that on paper, people were wondering what's its Oscar buzz. And then right. when they screened, those those hopes for Oscar buzz quickly <laughs> diminished. So don't be surprised if something or another, what, what, I don't know what it will be necessarily, but nobody knows right now. But yeah. There will be something that I'm sure will crash and burn in glorious fashion and we'll forever look back and wonder to ourselves, man, why why did we think that the sun was going to be anything special or unique? <laughs> you, know? you, just, you had to name one. Uh, it it no, happens I, every year. It happens to the best of them. Um, Matt, I will see you in Telluride. I can't wait. Um, it's going to be a blast. Thank you for educating me and the audience. Um, I, there's a lot to look forward to. And like you said, hopefully um, the crazy AMTP will will um, come to their senses and we'll get a chance to see some of these glitzy celebrities in person. But if not, we got the movies and that's enough. We got the movies. All right. Thanks for your time, Matt. Thank you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. Ha <laughs> ha